Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Last week we began in John chapter 10 as Jesus told a parable of the shepherd and his sheep. He made application last week when he claimed, I am the door. We enter by Christ into his kingdom. It is by his sacrifice that the gates of heaven are open to us. He makes a second application in our text this morning in John chapter 10, verse 11 and following. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, of, at these words the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Heavenly Father, as we hear what Jesus claims, I pray that we would hear his voice calling us that we would be one of his sheep whom he knows by name, who hear his voice and heed his voice, who follow him. And I thank you for the great love that he has for us, that he laid down his life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today is Veterans Day. Tomorrow, I know, is the uh, holiday when the banks will be closed, but November 11th is Veterans Day. And it's a day in which we honor those who put their lives on the line uh, for our country. I know that human nature is such that uh, nobody's perfect, we're not perfect, our leaders are not perfect, but by and large, we look back at the history of our country and we find that the freedoms that we have have been paid for with sacrifice. On Memorial Day, we remember those who actually gave their lives in the service of their country. And the freedoms we have, we have because God has so chosen to preserve them through those who gave their lives in such a way. On Veterans Day, it's not the lives of those, it's not those who gave their lives, it's those who put their lives on the line in the same way. They they deserve that honor too. If you have... uh, uh, stepped up to serve in the military in our country and said, I will do what my country calls me to do. Perhaps you were given a desk job. Perhaps you signed up for the reserves. But even there, you're saying, I'm willing to do what the country calls me to do. 
We know in our generation many who you know, were weak in reserves were called to active duty and went off to war. And they put their lives on the line you know, for us. You know, we see in, in you know, weekly ways in the news the same kind of, of risk. Uh, this uh, week there was another mass shooting. It's, it's so distressing, but we're becoming kind of numb to it, aren't we? How many of you had much more than a small reaction to the news? It's kind of like, not again. But with the tragedy and the grief of it, there are always these stories of heroism. I find it amazing that every time there are those who are like the coach who covered his, his kids to protect them from the gunman. And again, uh, this week, there was a, uh, a story. that I just read you this excerpt from this article. Among the crowd, which was largely comprised of students celebrating college country night, Taylor Whitler was celebrating her friend Nellie Wong's birthday. She said that when the shooter entered and started shooting, a group of men got on their knees and turned their back to the shooter, blocking others from being shot. She said they were ready to take a bullet for any single one of us. Every time, it seems there are these stories. Jesus acknowledged, not in this passage, but in John 15, which is the common wisdom, the common axiom. In the John 15, the last I am statement, I am the vine. And he gives the disciples this command to love one another even as I have loved you. He said, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In this passage, Jesus says, Three times, this is what he's going to do as our shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, I do not know that the ones who got on their knees with their backs to the shooter, if they were killed or not. The point of the illustration here is those who put themselves on the line are laying down their lives in their willingness whether or not the consequence happens. And that's what we honor on Veterans Day. If you've stepped up to serve uh, our country in the military in this way, Jesus sees it as something that we honor. No greater love has a man than this, that he should do this. So we want all who have served in the military in some way or another, if you would stand at this point. And now I want all the rest of us to stand with them. And let's go to God and thank God for them. And then you'll see how this actually just sets the stage for how much more we will thank God for our good shepherd who laid down his life for us. Heavenly Father, on this Veterans Day, we do honor those who have stepped forward and been willing to serve and put themselves in a calling where they could be called by their country into a place of danger where their lives were on the line. We recognize the sacrifice that is in that. We are amazed at with each tragedy that happens in the news. There always seem to be those who are willing to do this, and we honor that. We thank you for that, and we thank you for the freedom we have to gather for worship because of that. But this, these are just small reflections of what Jesus did for us as our good shepherd who laid down his life for us, 
his sheep. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The overriding point of this whole passage is in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they, my sheep, have life and have it abundantly. Have it in its fullest sense. Last week was the promise. Jesus said, I am the door. They who enter through me will have eternal life, will be saved. That's the promise. This week we're looking at the provision. How does he accomplish that? How does he open the door of heaven to us? Last week it was that he's the gate, he's the door, he's the way to the heavenly father. This week, how does he accomplish that? He says in a threefold way, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 11, when he makes that point, his first application is, the hired hand doesn't do that. Shepherds in Israel have had a personal relationship with the sheep. They actually named their sheep. We see uh, in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. You're not supposed to name the the animals you're going to eat. It's kind of extraordinary. My father grew up on a farm and he remembers we played with the the animals, but we didn't name the ones we were going to eat. Now, my father and my uncle uh, would play a game with a calf. And that was, how long can you hold on to the tail without getting kicked off? So they'd hold the tail of the calf and dodge the hooves around and count the seconds. And they played with the calf, but they didn't name that calf. They didn't want to establish that personal relationship. But the Israelite shepherds named their sheep. And they would call the sheep by name and the sheep would follow the shepherd. Instead of the shepherd driving the sheep. There's such a personal relationship that's illustrated here in the Israelite shepherd that Jesus says is his relationship with you and with me. And there's something profound in this. There's something grand when we talk about the mighty uh, king we have and the great kingdom of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. When we, we talk about the church and the bride of Christ in its fullness and we think of the, the uh, greatness of its size, its expansiveness all over the world. And in the middle of that context, we could feel lost in the shuffle, couldn't we? But Jesus says, I know you by name. And if you are my sheep, You hear my voice and you listen to my voice and you follow me. Something so intentionally personal that it's not there with the hired hand. On Wednesday mornings, I'm teaching one of the women's Bible studies. Tell you what, if you're not involved in that or or the evening women's Bible study, I wish I could go to every one of them. They're they're just great studies. I have the chance to teach this fall first and second Samuel so he we got to come to the story of David and Goliath and when David was presenting himself to Saul as the one who's willing to step up against Goliath Saul looked at him and said you're but a boy how can you do this 
Now Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was really the giant among the Israelites that should have been stepping out against the giant Goliath. But Saul trusted in his own strength. And he saw himself in probably his six and a half foot size and looked at Goliath in his nine foot size. And since he trusted in his own strength, he thought it's hopeless. And he was cowering in fear back in the palace. And his army under his leadership was cowering in fear. And David looks at, at Goliath and measures him not against himself in his own size, but against God and says, how can he do this? How can he insult the God of Israel? Anybody could do this. And so finally word gets to Saul and David comes before Saul. And David bears this testimony uh, in 1 Samuel. David said, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, And rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. If we just stop there, it could be sounded like David is really bragging. How mighty is he? But he was just a young man. Saul called him, you're but a boy. He couldn't fill out Saul's armor. He went out with just a sling. The reason David was able to put his life on the line for his sheep was because he trusted in God. And his conclusion is not, I'm great enough to tackle Goliath. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David was a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He's like the veterans uh, as opposed to the ones on Memorial Day. God didn't actually have him give his life for the sheep, but he laid down his life for the sheep. And he faced off the lion and the bear, and God delivered him. David said he'll do the same with Goliath, and we know that indeed he did. A hired hand doesn't do that because a hired hand is thinking, this is a job. This is why I'm doing it. I get paid. I'm in it for my interests. And as soon as that lion or that bear or that Goliath comes, he runs because it's not in his best interest to step up against that. Jesus knows you by name. He loves you. You, you, not just as a group. But you, enough to lay down his life. We know the rest of the story that he wasn't just willing to lay down his life. He actually did. Second thing he says, he says in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. He makes a surprising point. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. Now, this would have been counterintuitive to the Israelites he was speaking to. You'd have one pen with many shepherds. And they would come into the one pen, and the shepherds would bring their sheep into the one pen. And each shepherd would know his own sheep. His own sheep would know the voice of his own shepherd. And in the morning, they would come, and the shepherds would call out their sheep. They'd call them out by name. The sheep would come and follow them. It was like pets. 
and they'd follow their shepherd out to graze. Jesus said, it's not that I'm just one shepherd among many in the pen. He said, I am the good shepherd. Everybody else is a hired hand because I'm the gate. You have to come through me. But I have many sheep from other pens as well. See, he didn't just come to the people Israel. The Old Testament uh, talked about how God would bring from uh, Abraham a great nation that would be his people. But they would be a light to all the nations, a blessing to all the nations. God didn't just come to his people Israel, but through his people Israel, he would bring the light of Christ, the light of salvation, the light of blessing to all the world. It culminates in the Great Commission, but this is a foretaste of the Great Commission. When Jesus says, have many sheep that are not of this pen, this nation, but from nations all over the world. And I will gather them together that they may be one flock with one shepherd. We have a privilege of participating in that in a way that's, I think, unique to our century. On Tuesday mornings, we have a, a ministry that we call ESL, English as a Second Language. We just have, have some 100 students or more, more signed up, 100 that come every Tuesday from all over the world, Hispanics, Asians, uh, 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 Near Easterners, uh, Europeans, uh, uh, some Coptic Christians. It's all over the world. And we get to, our our teachers are just wonderful. They build relationships with them and and love them and and, and care for them. And uh, It gives credibility to explaining the gospel as we go through it uh, each week. And out of that, we've had an opportunity because one particular group uh, speaks the same language to begin under Frank Matthews' uh, ministry among us in the last years, our Hispanic service, our Spanish-speaking service, uh, often translated when the English speaker is back there uh, preaching at 11 o'clock in one of the back rooms. And we are, and God seems to be leading with rapid progress. You can, we've been calling on you to pray for this because as Frank has moved to regional ministry, we've been praying for God to raise up leadership for this. And we think that God is leading us to this. So there'll be news, uh, we hope, uh, to uh, announce as it confirms. We're excited about this. So just be praying that God will lead us. What a way that we can be a part of having more than one pen, more than one culture, gather together, To be one flock with the one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an astounding thing. And Jesus introduces that in this passage that he has other sheep. Then he says again, the reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life. So this is kind of a third section of this uh, passage that he tells us about laying down his life. He says, this is why the father loves me. Now, that doesn't mean his father's love is conditional. There's a perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a mystery of the Trinity in this. But when Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life, is to say, my father just delights in that I'm doing this. When you have children that do something that's extraordinary, and you say, I just love you for doing that. Do you mean if you didn't do that, I wouldn't love you? That's not saying it's conditional. It's just you're delighting in their accomplishment, in their, in their character, in, in whatever it is you're praising. You're loving them for doing that, for being that. But it's not 
imply conditional withholding. Neither does it for the Father. But Jesus is saying, for God so loved the world that he sent me to do this. It's not an angry God up there and I'm stepping in as the loving Savior to assuage his wrath. God is holy, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is loving and sends his Son to accomplish our redemption that by the Spirit is applied to us. So it's an amazing, amazing thing that God loves us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Son will lay down his life for us. That the doors may be open, that we would have heaven in store for us and purpose for each day here. Then Jesus adds, only to take it up again. He's not just projecting I'm going to lay down my life and that's it. It's over. I just want you to admire it. He's not a defeatist. The end of the story is only to take it up again. After the most extraordinary sacrifice is the most extraordinary victory in his resurrection. And so we, as we are called to be like Christ, and we'll apply it in a couple of ways in just a minute. And as we lay down our lives, we're not defeatist in that. If we are thinking it's just defeatism, it's like we're only looking at this life. I'll sacrifice. There's nothing where I'm lifted up again. No, as Jesus took up his life again, he lifts us up to that life with him. And he says, I'm doing this willingly. Nobody takes my life from me. He said this to Pilate later. that You have no authority except that, that which has been given to you. I laid down my life willingly. Jesus could have come off the cross by his own power. He could have asked for angels to to take him off. He didn't do that because this is what he wanted to do. Even though he sweat blood over the sacrifice and pain of it. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What a message. What a wonderful, good news, uh, parable, illustration with explanation and application. How did the people respond? How do you respond to that? It's extraordinary. Here's Jesus. You know how the people responded? At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Others were attracted and said, no, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? When we're here in church, we're worshiping Christ. We're used to talking about Christ in this way. Let's make a couple of applications of this and then ask, are we being crazy? First application uh, to the elders among you. Peter wrote this in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. He said, to the elders among you, leaders in the church, and the elders are just the, the, uh, the ultimate leader, the, the final authority in the church, but this is a lesson really for everybody in any leadership position, Sunday school teachers, whatever role you have of influence over somebody else, you're being a leader too. And this is the model of leadership in the church. I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, 
as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. As I was looking for something else, having prepared for this sermon this week, I came across an article that was titled perfectly for this message. The title of the article is Lion-Hearted Shepherds and Shepherd-Hearted Lions. It was a devotional based on Zechariah 11, in which Zechariah points out that the leaders of Israel were in the position of shepherd, but they were devouring the people like lions. He says, they might be called lion-hearted shepherds. They see themselves as strong. They envision strong flocks, congregations that are vigorous, healthy, successful, expanding with impressive facilities, large budgets, and worldwide outreach. People on the move, not decrepit. Naturally, shepherds of such flocks share in the benefits, which are many. Concentrating on the accomplished makes for the success of the shepherd. Such shepherds are lion-hearted, inclined to feed on the flock rather than feeding it. And they say to themselves, as in verse 5, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. There are, however, shepherd-hearted lions. They are strong, kingly in might, secure in their knowledge of themselves and of their Lord, do not need to prove themselves or receive constant affirmation, are willing to risk failure or even actually to fail. Their goal is not success, but faithfulness. Their concern is not for themselves, but for others. Here, originality fails me, or rather becomes unnecessary, as this line of thought already has been developed in the well-known and remembered prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace, not so much to be loved as to love. More importantly, it has been demonstrated by none other than Jesus himself who came not to be served, but to serve and to give. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Which ones, which sheep, those who would make a flock that all would admire, or those who are nothing but liabilities? Jesus answers, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He left the ninety and nine and went after the one that was lost. If we as leaders, whatever our role, especially as elders, deacons, uh, other leaders in the church, whatever they may be, do we have lion hearts where we're thinking of strength and worldly success? Or shepherd's hearts where we think of faithfulness, what God would call us to be and to do? That's not an easy either-or question, because guess what? Every day, I don't know about you, but I wake up with both. We have the old nature, and we have the new. Which wins today? The old nature is always pulling off to that image of success and that need for affirmation. The new nature is saying, I'm on Christ's affirmation, help me serve Which wins today? Which wins today 
for you. The application of this passage is also in the home. The words are almost uh, direct echoes, even though the word shepherd is not used. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, we're not addressing the counterpoint this time, so the rest of you can relax a little bit. And I don't want you wives going home and saying, See, husbands, now this is how we blah, blah, blah. This is addressed to husbands. Are you loving your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Think of of how the disciples treated Jesus. Not, Not just his enemies, but how they fell away from him. How Peter disowned him. He didn't love them because of what they could give him. He loved them because he loved them and gave himself for them. Are you that way as husbands? It's shown most when you are not loved and appreciated for what you do. Because then you find out, are you loving because you get good stuff in return? Or are you loving because Christ has loved you and he calls you to be like him? Now, it is right and holy to want to be loved and to be affirmed in your home and in the church. Those are not wrong desires. But if they are goals, if they are your objects of worship, if that's what you need most, you will break under that when it gets tough. And how does it show? The third application, we are all sheep. Whatever our position, whether we are leaders, whether we are followers, whether we are high position, whether we are are low, we are all sheep and we're called to follow Christ. He knows each of us by name. We have his blessing. But it does show, going back to the prayer of confession, when we are grumbling and complaining. The Israelites, when they were coming out of Israel, the people, after they were delivered by God through the, the... Plagues which were horrendous and miraculous at the same time. And they came into the Red Sea and the water parted and they went through on dry land. And they ended up in the wilderness. They got thirsty and they got hungry. And what did they say? They had been slaves and now they were free. And they grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out here to die? It would have been better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to come out here to die. They were grumbling and complaining. And guess who else grumbled and complained? Moses, you see, this applies to leaders, followers alike. He complained to God, God, how can I put up with these people? What do you expect me to do? And he got so angry that when God told him to speak to the rock, to provide for his people with water in that desert land, Moses struck the rock instead. And God still provided for his people. But because of his anger and his groaning and complaining against God, he lost the earthly blessing of being able to enter the promised land with his people. Now, God took him right on to heaven. He said, well, it doesn't matter. You got to go to heaven anyway. Well, actually, it still does matter, doesn't it? When we find ourselves grumbling and complaining, whatever position we have in family, in church, at work, whatever it is, we know God is sovereign over all these things. Now, complaint is ultimately against, against God. And we can ask 
God, what can I do to better things? What are, what are my responsibilities? How ought I to act? That's different than saying, I'm not getting what I need, and I, I just have a bone pick about it. Hmm. Whether leader or follower, if that's our case, we need to remember this. We have a good shepherd who knows us by name, who knows every thought that we have, who says, no, no, come and follow me. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I know that this is a valley right now, but I am with you. And I laid down my life for you to open up an eternity of glory. How do you respond? Do you say, yeah, but this is just crazy. Probably don't say that. You say, that's just religious jargon. How practical is that? Or do you say, that's right. And it is fresh water for my soul, though I'm in a barren place right now. I will trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us enough individually and corporately as a church that you would send your son into the world to give his life for his sheep, to gather sheep from all over the world and make one flock with one shepherd to your glory. We pray that we would be lifted up in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.